Good morning. Um, scripture this reading this morning is going to be from the Old Testament book of Exodus, starting 13th chapter. I'm going to read 1 through 16. And also, uh, before I go any further, um, like Scott always says, if nobody has a copy of God's Word, you're more than welcome to take this one, so, or take anyone here. So if you see it, take it. We want you to have one. Um, considered a gift. Starting from page 65, in the, uh, this one. Don't take any that don't look like that one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you're welcome to those, too. It's all good. <laughs> Before you ask the person next to you. <laughs> yeah. um, so from the 13th chapter, 1 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today, in the month of Abib, you are going out, and when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you in all but your territory. You shall tell your son on that day it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute as appointed time from year to year. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all the first opened the wombs. All the firstborn of your animals that are the males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. Or if you do not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons shall be redeemed. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. The Lord bless us reading the word aloud. So Rob's part of a uh, uh, the cohort here at United Baptist Church where men are training to um, to uh, preach the word and to share the gospel and since Scott's on vacation this week he's uh, kind enough to step forward so uh, thank you Rob. Good morning. So you, if you've been around here for a while, you know that if I stand up here and I try to thank you, body of believers, I have a hard time. So I won't be thank you this morning. I'm not going to thank you for your prayers. 
I'm not going to thank you for your love. I'm not going to thank you for your sacrifice for myself and my family. And I certainly won't thank you for the opportunity I have this morning. So I just want to say I'm not going to thank you guys for any of that stuff. Uh, so because I need my voice this morning and I lose it every time. So, okay, very good. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. It is glorious. Lord, as Steve just prayed, we forget what we're sitting before of, what we're sitting under, Lord. And sometimes we even want to stand over it. Lord, help us to come under your word this morning. Lord, you have something special for us every time we open this book. I pray this morning would be one of those times. Lord, use this broken vessel for your mighty work. In Christ's name. Are you good at keeping the first thing first? I think in today's world, if we look at our phones, if I look at my phone, we can see we're not that good at that. I've got Facebook calendars, I've got work calendars, I've got daily calendars, I've got family calendars, I've got reminders, I've got alarms. We have all these things in our world overcoming, just bombarding us so we don't miss something that's important to us for that day, that minute, that phone call. Uh, and we, we often struggle with that. I even keep the Bible app on the first page of apps on my phone, so once in a while I'll remember, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to read my Bible. We're always thinking of ways we can try to keep what's first first. Uh, this morning, I'm excited that the Lord's going to help us. Some of you may not know what the first thing is. Do you know what your first thing is? Do you think I've got a bunch of first things and they're all kind of tied? They're even? The Bible's clear. God's people for all time, all time past, all time forward, are to keep him first. As we study this text that Tim just beautifully read for us this morning, I'm going to pray, and I have been praying, that the Lord will reveal a few things to us. The Lord's salvation is to be what we live for. The last couple of weeks, Pastor Scott and Justin have done a wonderful job at showing us just how beautiful and powerful this Lord that we believe in is. We've seen miraculous things. We've seen the Lord. He's sovereign and graceful and merciful. He's sovereign over physics. He's sovereign over biology. He's sovereign over meteorology. He's sovereign over even life and death. If you've been with us the last few weeks, you've seen that in the book of Exodus, right from chapter 1 all the way up to today. We should worship him in our lives to his praise and his glory. I pray this morning that as we study and look at this, we see that mercy in his great plan. And I pray that this morning's sermon may make those previous sermons even more impactful. This morning, the Lord's going to show us ways he provides for us to make that first thing 
earth. Really, knowing and remembering the Lord's might and how he delivers his people is how God's people might live mightily for him. Now, the beginning of this book of Exodus, it's like an epic saga. It could be a summer blockbuster hit um, at the movie theater. I mean, we've got everything in there. But our passage today, kind of a break in the action. We're right at the, Pharaoh, we're right at the point where Pharaoh's like, Uncle, I'm out. I've had enough. Moses, you win. Israel, you win. God, you win. Get out of my country and get out now. And then God stops and he has a message for Moses. To deliver to these couple of million people probably that were going to be delivered out of Egypt. God tells Moses in verse 2, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel is both is mine, both man and beast. This is the heart of our text this morning. Verse 2 is the God of the universe speaking directly to Moses, his prophet. The rest of our text is Moses speaking to the people, God's chosen prophet speaking to God's chosen people. It's clear that this text wasn't just for Moses or even for those Israelites. From the text we can see, with, the, with several phrases, all of the firstborn, whatever is first, among the people of Israel, and this directive that the Lord's given to pass this on to future generations, it's clear this was to be followed, obeyed, and understood for generations to come. Well, now, we've already seen God's people are pretty rebellious. They can be quick to want to figure this stuff out on their own. Moses, as God's prophet, knew just how rebellious they could be. Matter of fact, he was pretty rebellious. If you guys were here for a while, you've seen that in the book. So the Lord had Moses tell to allow the Israelites a time and a place to worship him. Moses doesn't even want to do that. He doesn't even want to speak God's word when he's told directly by God to do so. And the Israelite foremen, who represent the people, after Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh, these foremen come to Moses and Aaron, and they want them judged by God because of how Pharaoh looks upon them, after they've delivered the word of the Lord to Pharaoh to help the whole nation of Israel. How wicked. These people wanting judgment, eternal judgment, on Moses and Aaron because Moses and Aaron are representing what the Lord wanted them to do. So, they're telling this sinful leader, in essence, you are not God, and let these people worship the Lord. And the foremen are trying to get Moses and Aaron judged for that. What a bunch of distractions we have here in this text at this time for these people. The ten plagues have just occurred. So many things have happened. Their attitudes, their past failures. What do you think's going on with the Israelites? Remember, their grandparents only knew slavery to Pharaoh, as did their great, great, great grandparents. 
And now, more than God's promise, they see evidence of this great deliverance. They had been, they had just seen a dead person in every Egyptian's home. And undoubtedly, a whole nation grieving, mourning, countless thousands of lives have just been lost. And yet, not a dead, a single dead Israelite. And also remember, these people have been the property of the Egyptians. They've been the property of Pharaoh. And now these former slaves, they're strolling around Egypt collecting things from the Egyptians. We're not just talking any things. We're talking gold and silver and clothing. There were no SUVs, no iPhones, no flat screen TVs. Gold and silver and clothing were the prized possessions of that time. And they're not just taking these items. Egyptians are going, here you go, take it, take it. They're, the Egyptians are giving these items to these people. It just must have been absolutely amazing. The formerly abused property, now receiving the most important property from their abusers. It must have had an amazing impact on every Israelite at the time. What were the Israelites saying to themselves? Free at last. Oh, if Grammy could see us now. What's the first thing you're going to do when you get to the promised land? I'm having to drink that delicious milk that the Lord's promised. I'm going to get a spoon and eat a whole quarter, honey. But seriously, just imagine how their brains must have been swirling with new ideas and excitement over their new freedom that, it, that was finally at hand. Now let's get back to verse 2. Moses, God's prophet, has to bring God's word to the people. What was going through his mind? Are you kidding me? We just got freedom, and now it's God's telling us we've, what we've got to do with our brand new things. Or worse than that, God's telling me I have to tell them what they have to do with their brand new shiny things. Or even worse, those things aren't yours. They're God's. Let's see how God helps his people with this. I hope the Lord will show us something about his word, about the Israelites, ourselves, and our Lord and Redeemer. When we read the beginning of verse 3, then Moses said to the people, remember. Let's stop right there for a minute. Remember something you're in the middle of? Parents can probably identify with that. If you've ever taken your family on that big trip, you want them to remember that. Hey, listen, family, this costs a lot of time, a lot of money. We want you to enjoy this. We want you to remember the meals that maybe mom didn't have to cook. We want you to remember the special excursions. We want you to remember the time around maybe the campfire or at the theme park. We want you to remember those things. Moses is really saying, take this in. Remember this. Open your eyes. Open your ears. See and hear what's going on around you right now. Open your hearts and souls and minds that this day may be imprinted on you forever. Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. That seems pretty easy, right? This deliverance by the strong hand of the Lord, it's a 10 on anybody's scale. 
already. And the Lord hasn't even parted a sea yet. And just everything that's happened in these first 13 chapters is just amazing. But the Lord, as easy as that would be to remember, the Lord knows our attention span. As Steve just beautifully confessed on behalf of all of us. So he's going to help us. Now last week, Justin preached and taught that the Lord, or the Lord's people were not to eat leaven at the Passover and to remove leaven out of their houses. That leaven was supposed to be new each year. The old leaven, the Israelites' previous life, was to be left behind, and a new way of life, living for God's glory, was to begin. The people were not to be reluctant or slow to be delivered when the Lord's strong hand made its move to deliver its people. We see in verse 17, which is right after our verses this morning, the Lord's already concerned these people are going to go back to Egypt. He really hasn't fully delivered them yet, but we know because of the scriptures, the Lord's already concerned with that. Now, another reason for eating that unleavened bread and removing leaven from their houses was that old leaven represented sin. Hence, the Lord told them that if they had eaten, le- if they eat leaven at this during this week, they were to be cut off from His people. Now, remember, God's order was the firstborn of Israel to be consecrated. The original language of this Hebrew text for consecrate is kadash. Definition is to be set apart or made holy. The Lord wants Israel to know to be consecrated, to be set apart for him, to be made holy. Previous sin had to be eliminated. So God says for one week a year, so that you may remember my deliverance, do not eat leavened bread. We put it another way, do not continue to take into your body the old sinful ways and attitudes. In verse 7, he says, During this same week, no leaven shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen in all of your territory. This is a thorough and holistic approach. That which defiles, I don't want in you. Near you, or even in your territory, I have promised you that you will have. This no doubt painted a vivid picture to the Israelites. This meant they had to spend time and money and focus to rid themselves of getting rid of that leaven that represented the old sinful way of the life that they had and that could possibly separate someone from God's people. This week was special and different than the other 51 weeks of the year but it was to be remembered throughout the year. The Lord had made it clear to the Israelites. He delivered them from the sin of this world, namely Pharaoh, and because he had done so, they were to take responsibility for their lives in sanctifying themselves. Moses has now made it clear to the Israelites that part of being a consecrated nation was to eliminate the old sin from their lives and to remember and follow the Lord's statutes. Moses then reminds the people again that God will deliver them to the promised land. When he does, they are to continue this consecration of the firstborn. Moses provides the instructions on how to consecrate the firstborn, and he repeats, all the firstborn must be consecrated. The firstborn of clean animals must be sacrificed so that they were clearly the Lord's. 
And let's remember that much of this livestock would get birthed in the spring. So that would be something that would happen in the spring with the livestock. But the firstborn of man, as now, could be any time of the year. We have birthdays all 12 months of the year, and they did then for the man. So we were to remember this and obey it all the year. Look at the second half of verse 13 with me. Every firstborn of man among you, shall re- you shall redeem. Phew. That's some good news right there. I'm a firstborn. No sacrifice in us. Now, my little sister 30 years ago, she probably worked out a deal with the Lord. For you, Lord, I'll sacrifice Robbie. I've got a plan in everything. Thank God he makes it clear in the Bible that unlike other cultures of that time, and sadly even of our time, the sacrifice of children was strictly forbidden. The book of Exodus doesn't expressly state how the firstborn sons were to be redeemed here and what the price was to be paid. In other the book of the Bible, there's various ways that the firstborn sons of humans were to be redeemed. And it's quite possible that then they were redeemed by the sacrifice of a lamb. Regardless of how they were to redeem, be redeemed, God makes it clear they were to be redeemed. Now, if we look at the beginning of the same verse, it tells us every firstborn of man is to be redeemed. It says, every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. For a bit, I want us to think about what the Israelites would have, this would have meant to the Israelites in their context. Remember, we've got 600,000 men leaving Egypt. That means almost certainly we're talking about a couple million people at least. Among those had to be elderly, disabled, toddlers, infants, women, maybe women that are eight or nine months pregnant. And that's just the people. We've got all their supplies, all their clothing, all their work tools. And we've got all this stuff that the Egyptians have just given us. And we're going to move that. Remember, no station wagon, SUV, no trailers. At least no trailers that we could tow with a vehicle. No planes or trains or automobiles. So the setting of being told to redeem these donkeys was important. We think about a current day farmer. How important is it for the farmer that has stuff to move around? Whether it's his ATV, his UTV, his pickup, or his tractor. But then those donkeys were the beasts of burden and likely could have been a family's only mechanism to move things around, whatever they were doing, whether it be building buildings or participating in any of their given trades. Needless to say, at this time and place, these donkeys were rightly seen as very useful and valuable. And the God of the universe, the one that orchestrated all of this for the Israelites to be right here, right now, knows this, but he declares, these donkeys are unclean and they must be redeemed by the killing of a lamb. God had declared that lambs were clean and therefore a worthy sacrifice or a price to be paid for the unclean donkey. And what was to happen to that, to that owner of that donkey if he decided this donkey won't be redeemed. I'm guessing when Tim read this text this morning, part of verse 13 stuck out to you. You shall break its neck. 
pretty stark. As I was going through this preparation, I kind of pictured myself trying to break a donkey's neck. How would I do it? And for some reason, I started out with an adult donkey, and it was just ugly. And then I realized, wait, this would be a young donkey. Even those are like 20, 30 pounds, and they can stand up and walk instantly upon birth. That wasn't much prettier. I'll save you for more of that. Anyway, anyway, what does this mean? Praise God. I think that question, the answer to that question, is in our text. I'm going to read verses uh, 14 to 16. And when in time to come, your son asked you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be a mark as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Thank you, God, we've got an answer. you remember how useful the Israelites were to Pharaoh? The Israelites built cities for Pharaoh so he could store his stuff. Cities. But then Pharaoh, they get so strong, and the Lord's blessing them, they get so strong... Pharaoh starts to fear them. If they rebel, he may lose that battle. He may lose his slaves. So we learn Pharaoh receives the crystal clear message from God, let my people go, but he stubbornly refused to let them go. So God eventually killed every firstborn in the land of Egypt, the Egyptians. As these Israelites were valuable beasts of burden to Pharaoh, so donkeys were valuable beasts of burden to the Israelites. As they traveled to the promised land, and once they got there, God, though being merciful, says, redeem the firstborn donkeys so that they may live. But if you stubbornly refuse to redeem that donkey, you must break its neck. We see here the sovereign Lord of the universe with his mighty hand having full authority and capability to render judgment and death upon those who stubbornly refuse to follow his statutes, whether it be Pharaoh and the entire nation of Egypt losing their firstborn sons due to their refusal to obey the Lord, or an Israelite who refuses to redeem their donkey. Now, I already told you I was a firstborn, and I'm thankful to God that I didn't have to be sacrificed because of God's mercy and justice. But look at the text. Just like the unclean donkeys, the firstborn of man was to be redeemed. What does this mean? It means that the firstborn of the Israelites were unclean. Not only did God's mercy declare child sacrifice forbidden, any child on its own was not a worthy redemption price. As the donkey was unclean, so were the Israelite children. The Lord had declared some animals clean and some animals unclean as a picture to the Israelites. Unlike the donkey, though, the Israelite children had not been declared unclean by God, but were made unclean 
by their sin and rebellion. This all started in the previous book, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, when God made Adam, and Adam sinned and rebelled against him. And each generation from then on has been unclean. Also remember how this explanation began. This was when a son, upon seeing what his parents were doing, asked, what does this mean? This was an explanation for generations to come. This text, and many more like it, make it clear we are unclean. Yes, you, friend, are unclean. In that sense, you're just like a donkey. And so am I. And like those Israelites who owned those donkeys and decided whether to redeem them or break their necks, God has allowed you a choice. You may be redeemed or you may disregard God. You see, throughout the Bible, the firstborn represents the whole. In this culture, the firstborn, son, would receive double inheritance. And if something were to happen to the husband or the father, the firstborn son would represent that family going forward. So when God tells Israel to consecrate to me all the firstborn Israelites, the Israelites knew what he meant. He meant you, nation of Israel, are my people, and you are to live as such. For a long time, I would have considered my children mine. Is that true of you? The children you call yours aren't yours. They're God's. We wouldn't have any children to raise without God's mighty hand willing it to be so. This consecration of the firstborn is a powerful, dramatic reminder that all is God's. The heart of the last couple sermons has been God's power and might to deliver his people and render judgment. The heart of this text this morning is, once delivered by the Lord's mighty hand, power is delivered people to worship and live. And he provides the way that we are able to do that. Just as clearly as God makes a way for salvation, we see in Scripture that God makes a way for his people to live lives pleasing to that Savior. Consecrate to me all the firstborn, and the firstborn represent the whole. By consecrating the firstborn, the Lord was providing a reminder that all the Israelites are his, and he delivered them from the slavery that didn't allow him to worship them. him. In sacrifice and redemption of animals, the Lord provided the teaching and reminder that a substitutionary death was required so the Israelites would not be cut off from God. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Lord made a way for the Israelites to know and be reminded that they are a holy nation under a merciful and great master. They are, to live under, they are not to live under the old ways of slavery and of false gods. By following these commands of the Lord, he just didn't make demands from afar. He wanted their worshipful obedience, so he made a way. God was providing a way for the people he delivered to participate in their salvation, actually be active in their own salvation. Practically and symbolically, he made a way for them to see, to hear, to even taste their salvation. By obeying what he said, all of their senses would be used in observance. 
kind of reminds me of those learning modalities for any teachers out there. Studies have shown that some people learn best by seeing, some by hearing, some by doing and moving and actually doing what they're trying to learn. With these ceremonies, he did all of those. He hit on all of those so that his people that he knows, that he created, he knows every hair on your head. He's made a way that however you learn, he knows it. And he wants you to learn of your great, his great deliverance of us. So I started asking each of you if you were good at keeping the first thing first. And I dare say none of us are on our own. But God's made a way. He made a way for the Israelites to put the first thing first. And he's made a way today for us to do the same. As these people were in the right place at the right time, where God wanted them to be, he sent his, his firstborn son, Jesus Christ, at the right place in the right time. In the New Testament, we read in Galatians 4, So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Before, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls you Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. This text is a letter to the Galatians. It's helpful to see the mighty hand of the Lord has saved you and me, Christian brother or sister. Christians, we're all slaves, the principles of this world. But God sent his firstborn son to redeem us. This son, Jesus the Christ, is able to redeem all of humanity because unlike, because like the lambs of the Old Testament, the, the, the Lord has declared him clean and he lived a perfectly clean life in the flesh on behalf of us. Jesus will save us from being slaves. The sin and rebellion of this world and from the Lord's judgment of sin and rebellion. He also, in his goodness, mercy, and perfect plan, provides the how for us to remember and be obedient. Christians all over the world regularly take communion together. We gather together and eat and drink as a witness to the world, but most importantly, to remember. We symbolically take the sinless and unleavened bread of Jesus' body and eat in remembrance of him. We also take the blood of the perfect lamb that was sacrificed for you and me in remembrance of what Christ did on the cross in redeeming us by the shedding of his blood. How great a God we have. He's not done making sure we do as he wills. The Galatian text I just read promised that God would send the spirit of his son into our hearts. Jesus calls on the disciples to take the gospel to all nations. So Jesus has these disciples and they're getting ready to head out. And he's like, oh, hold on, not yet. So we read in Acts 1, this is Jesus speaking. He says, don't depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Christians, the Holy Spirit's within you. Therefore, God's in you. The thing you try to remember, 
and live for is within you. It's within me. That's holistic. A complete how-to guide on how to live a life consecrated to God is in you. Let's remember, God says, you are not your own. You were bought with the precious blood of my son. Therefore, remember, I purchase you. So even your children are not your children. They're mine. Remember me in your parenting. Remember me in your social life. As the whole territory of Israelites were to be were promised that they needed to be cleansed of their old leaven, our local church needs to help each other be cleansed from sin of our old lives that we led in the past. Remember me when I go into the world. Be consecrated as you go into the world. The Israelites were to live life set apart, holy, even though they were headed into a world far from God. We are to do the same. This is how we are salt and light in a world in desperately need of that salt and light. Now, the good news should be all the motivation we need to do these things. Paul tells the Corinthian church that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All your lives are to be lived for God's glory. All our lives are to be set apart for the Lord. Paul then writes, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. God's plan has always been to take the good news of his salvation to everyone by the means of his people that have been saved from slavery. We're only able to do this by knowing, remembering, and declaring that salvation. To attempt to live this sanctified life apart from that motivation is just moralism. To set God aside and tell yourself, people around you, and ultimately the Lord, I've got this. I can do it on my own. I've, under my own strength. Lord willing, in the book of Exodus, soon we're going to see many Israelites coming along out of slavery with God's people, and they quickly forget God and his commands. And they're judged by him. And thousands die due to their forgetfulness and disobedience. And the New Testament doesn't paint an easier picture. Coming along with God's people and not having a new first thing is a dangerous place to be. Holding on to the old leaven of sin and self-assuredness prevents us from truly walking with God. This is what the Pharisees are so adept at doing if you look at your New Testament. Religion's their specialty, and Jesus was hardest on them. God is saying, if you know me, my mighty hand and my salvation, I shall be you of one thing. If you are regularly here and you attend church and you're trying to do the church thing under your own strength, God's saying, humble yourself. If God says do it, do it. This seems too great a burden for you 
and you've attended church for a long time, consider whether you've forgotten the amazing grace by which you were saved. Maybe you never knew that grace at all. Don't harden yourself to think you've earned anything by coming to church or helping the ministry of the church. You haven't. Look to Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. Utterly beautiful. Truly seek him. You will find him. His grace and truth, they're available to all. Simply repent and believe. That's it. Humble yourself and ask the Lord to give you eyes to see him. By learning more about Jesus, we know God better. And then we're able to reason. Remember our reason for everything. And then by God's grace, those burdens, leading this new life in Christ, becomes lighter. Keep the Lord's salvation near and dear in your heart, in your mind, in your mouth, in your memory. Remember the first word out of Moses' mouth after hearing this command from the Lord was remember. Our remembrance of the good news of God's salvation is not just the first thing, but to God's people, Everything. It's our motivation to fulfill the Lord's commands. After Moses explains the annual feast of unleavened bread, he says this in verses 9 and 10. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. After explaining how to consecrate the firstborn, Moses says this in verses 15 and 16. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the first of my sons I shall redeem. It shall be a mark on your hand and or frontlets between your eyes. For by strong hand, the Lord has brought us out of Egypt. Imagine that. A strap around your wrist with a box attached to it, big enough to hold a piece of parchment. It would stand out. wouldn't be easy to forget. Now imagine that same box right here. Pretty impossible to forget. Now let's go about our day. Let's wake up and hop in the shower. Let's get ready for work. Let's drive to work. Let's talk to our co-workers. <laughs> with this box right here. You get the picture? The strong hand of the Lord delivering us from slavery and sin is to be like that. Someone may be saying, yeah, easy to preach. Not so easy to do. To that I'd say, well, yeah, and no. The Lord has given us everything we need. You don't have to keep trying harder and harder and harder. He's given us what we need. We study Him, we learn Him, we know Him, and we're able to keep that salvation. First thing. Now, 
The same God who gracefully gave his people these directives so that they may be sanctified. Did another miraculous thing, even more miraculous, 2,000 years ago. So how are we Christians, God's people, to be consecrated today? One word, die. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans ties the concept of leaven, or sin, and sacrifice, or redemption, together in a few verses in chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have been raised from the dead, uh, if we have died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion on him. For the death he has died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life for your members to God's instruments for his righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. See, the pictures, brothers and sisters, is us dying to ourselves with this sinful flesh. You've been crucified with Christ, and now you live with him, and he with you, and he within you. Jesus died to sin, therefore we walk in newness of life. Two chapters after that, Romans scripture I just read, God says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And he says, Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. The Lord has given us a symbolic picture of this as well, so that the next generation may learn that we all remember that we are to be consecrated. Baptism is the new covenant sign of our death to sin and being raised to new life in Christ. Christians, when you are facing great temptation, remember your baptism. Remember your old life being buried in that water and being raised to new life in Christ. For parents, Moses tells the people that passing these rituals and the good news of God's salvation onto the next generation is the utmost importance. Then this morning's text twice and brought up in two different contexts that we can learn from. Be ready to explain God's word and his good salvation to someone as you live out the life you put before you. Also be ready to answer questions when asked about that odd new life you're living. This new life in which sin and flesh are dead and gone and this new life that looks nothing like the world is shining a curious light the next generation will ask are you ready to explain the Lord's salvation of you to your children? 
without glorifying your sin. Can you tell them, using real words, how you were enslaved to sin, but were delivered by the mighty hand of God? It's also important to understand that knowing something very well helps us to remember it very well. Congregation, you guys be so happy, helpful to help me finish this sentence. The best way to learn something is to, to teach it. By completing and explaining these ceremonies, not only would future generations learn the ways of God, but each generation would know God's will for them better while they taught. In either case, whether explaining or answering questions, be authentic. That's another application. As you go through the book of Exodus, you'll see that many, many people on this journey being brought out of Egypt by this mighty hand of the Lord bring their leaven with them. They want God's deliverance from slavery, and they want their sin. They see that sin is practical. Sin is tasty. It's convenient. All of which, in a worldly sense, are completely true. Like the Israelites were slaves to Pharaoh, and those donkeys were to Israel, when we think of our sin, it'll help us to lighten our burdens when we see so many times sin in the exact same way. We say, sin in this special case. It's what's best. And we see that it's good to eat, just like Eve in the garden. And we tell ourselves a myriad of lies to justify living much like Pharaoh. By living in this manner, we say to the Lord, God, I reject you. I know what's best, and you don't. I'm going to walk with you, so bless me also. The New Testament's full of stark warnings. Cruising along beside God's people, doing some Jesus-like stuff, carrying our sin with us, while holding tightly onto our sinful ways, leads to death. If you're familiar with Christ, but he is not your Lord and Redeemer, I ask you now, why not? The deliverance of these Israelites really happened. It's true. And the deliverance of Christians by our Redeemer, Jesus, is true. God sent his firstborn son to live and die. And by dying, he redeemed all who would repent of their sins and have Jesus as their Lord and Master. God's firstborn son, representing all of God's people who repent of their sin and follow him. As Christians, we know as sure as I'm standing here at this pulpit, that's true. The good news that you have a redeemer with the authority and capability to pay the price of your salvation in order that you may be the son or an heir of the Lord we have been discussing is a million times more valuable than anything I could give you or Pharaoh could give those Israelites. Myself or members of this church would love to talk to you about that after the service. We wouldn't, there's no other joy we'd rather have than to be able to discuss this redeemer with you after service if you don't know him as your redeemer. Now, our time in Exodus has already taught us to be wary of wanting to be our own gods. And it's going to continue to do that through this book. But in my profession, I see a lot of people, I'm convinced, maybe sometimes they want to be on their own gods. But a lot of times they feel more like a donkey than a god. And if you are listening closely, I confess, 
You just heard me compare you to a donkey. Some of us, at times, treat ourselves, and also the world treats us, no better than an animal. Not so with God. Our text this morning shows us God chooses us. He saves us. And promises that he has a good and gracious plan for our lives and our deliverance. Be reminded of that. Like the Israelites during the time around the Exodus, we don't always know what that plan's going to be. Also remember that God walked by faith. Godly people walk by faith and not by sight. The God of the universe stepped into time and spoke with Moses. 2,000 years ago, that same God stepped into time in the flesh because he was willing and able to redeem you and me. Upon receiving the good news of Christ and being redeemed by him, we are no longer slaves. We are the sons and heirs of the Lord. Therefore, we may ask the question of our naysayers, who are you calling a donkey? And in response to ourselves or the world, because of God's power and grace, our response may be, I am no donkey. I am an heir of the king and God of the universe. Sing a hymn. 